Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, welcome to Sparking Wholeness. I am so happy to introduce you to my friend, Tiffany Fagan-Webb. Tiffany has been working as a licensed professional counselor in Dallas. She received a BA in psychology from Rhodes College and later continued her education at Dallas Theological Seminary, earning a master's in biblical counseling in 2011. Tiffany's passion for counseling was ignited at Dallas Pregnancy Resource Center, where she began serving as a client advocate in 2005 helping women and their partners experience unplanned, experiencing unplanned pregnancy. Since that time, Tiffany has gained invaluable experience as a counselor working with female-specific issues in a variety of settings. In addition to treating females of all ages in private practice, she has worked as a counselor at Parkland Hospital in the high-risk pregnancy unit, as well as the postpartum infant death unit in a sober living home with young women seeking freedom from alcoholism and addiction, and with women in need of post-abortion recovery. In her personal story of healing and recovery, Tiffany has experienced the remarkable benefit of a therapeutic relationship, and so she hopes to offer a safe, empathic place for clients to process life's pain and undesirable experiences. She considers it a privilege and a joy to walk with others as they work toward positive transformation and greater emotional health. Tiffany, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Erin. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I know you through my husband. Um, you guys used to work together, and but getting to know you on a more personal level, I just I love how you care so much um, for helping the whole person, and you really care a lot about somebody having a safe place to speak and and share experiences. And anyway, and so I think having you on here is is just going to be huge because um, I, there are a lot of people out there that don't know what counseling is and don't know um, why they would even go to counseling and um, why it would be beneficial. So um, first off, I want to ask you, what do you love about being a counselor? That's a great, great question to start off with. Um, and I just want to take a minute to sort of echo or ditto what you said. I've so enjoyed learning more about holistic health top to bottom um, from you, Erin, and I appreciate what you're doing to educate all of us oh, and thanks. just in, in the, um, the research and um, self-education that you're doing so that you can spread that and benefit others as they, they seek greater health and wholeness. So I'm thankful to know yeah. you and to know Richard and your kids and, um, and learn from you as well. Um, what do I love about being a counselor? Uh, I love many things. Um, uh, Answering this question just makes me think about how I love observing people's behaviors and mm -hmm. also getting to know their feelings um, and kind of what fuels people and how they act and how they interact with others in their world. I remember being in grade school and watching 
people on the playground, other kids on the playground, or mm -hmm. um, watching my peers seemingly have a bunch of confidence as they were about to do a presentation. And I truly remember wondering on the inside, like, how, what's going on inside of them that they're able to get up so easily or seemingly so easily in front of the class or what's going on with them at the playground that everybody is drawn to them um, and also asking those questions of myself from a young age of like why do I not want to get up in front of the class what's mm. going on with me on the inside that that feels scary and frightening to me um, so really I love getting to know people and I love offering them a safe place to explore their feelings and their behaviors. Um, and then also just watching them work towards transformation and holistic change and like the joy and privilege of being part of that. It's really sweet to be included on someone's path as they seek change um, towards life habits and lifestyles that work better for them. I love that. Um, I personally have benefited from counseling for many years and I think it is so important like what you said, not everybody <laughs> picks up on those things that you, you pick up on. Not everybody asks why, not everybody wants to dive into those things. And so I think it really is a calling. And I think it's important to have people out there to advocate um, for others who just can't naturally get to the root of, of what they're going through. You know, um, it's, it's, it really is. It's so great that um, we have counseling as an option. Um, I would love to take a second to um, maybe debunk some counseling myths or misconceptions um, if you want to go there, uh, because I do think, um, you know, as we continue to try to destigmatize mental health and all of that, um, there is still something maybe stigmatizing about counseling. Um, maybe it is a little bit taboo or maybe, maybe people think it's only for some people, I don't know, what, what do you see as some of the popular uh, misconceptions about counseling? Yeah, that's a, a great question, Erin. Uh, I, I'm with you. I do see and still experience some stigma around it. Um, and I, I would say the number one thing that naturally comes up, rather that's rather if it's in session or outside in the world, um, is don't you just tell people what to do? <laughs> yeah. or, uh -huh. uh, or I'll have a client say, um, well, I was talking to my mom and my mom said, well, why don't you just ask Tiffany? She'll tell you what to do. And then the client is trying to debunk the myth and be like, mom, actually, Tiffany doesn't just tell me what to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's just a, a true misunderstanding and, um, of what counseling is. We do not get to tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of look at that more like a lawyer, like a lawyer gives solid, frank direction. Um, and what we do is explore what is going to be the most adaptive and helpful path for the client to seek wholeness, to seek health, to, to seek successful relationships. Um, and they actually get the privilege of doing that with us and, and figuring it out on their own. Um, so we don't tell them what to do. So that would be the number one. Um, yeah. 
I think another one is, you know, um, maybe it's getting a little more outdated and not as many people are believing it. Um, however, I still hear from time to time, well, if you go to counseling, that must mean you have serious mental health problems. Mm, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. so want to debunk that as well, that I have clients with a variety of mental health and counseling issues. And some of them are as mild and wonderful as like anxious about getting married or anxious mm -hmm. about buying a house or anxious mm -hmm. about having a child. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are probably the two main ones. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. You know, I've even caught myself, um, that myth number two, kind of believing that I think, you know, I, I went back to counseling. It's been about three years, but I've been out of it for a long time. And I think it's because I thought things were okay and mm -hmm. I was managing and I didn't really quote need counseling. Um, and then I, it was actually when Richard and I started teaching our pre-marriage class and I didn't realize how much of a, a pleaser I am and how codependent I had become, um, mm -hmm. at that stage in my life three years ago when I had my third child and my oldest was going through some really hard things and we were putting her in counseling actually, um, kind of, I, I say it wasn't really hard, but it was minor anxiety, but enough to where I was like, okay, I want to get on top of this soon. So I knew enough to get her in there. But for me, I didn't realize how everything was affecting me. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, it might be time to get back into the counseling game. And going there was good because I will say one thing it helped me with is my counselor helped me see what I was going through was okay and normal. Mm -hmm. And since then, I mean, I, the only reason I have, I think I can attribute the reason I have this podcast, the reason I can be vulnerable about having bipolar disorder and talking about mental health in this way is because I went to counseling and I started working on all of that. So, um, I didn't know I had to work on it until I went. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yes. So I think, and I'm married to a professional counselor. <laughs> like I, I think sometimes, and I don't know, I don't know if that's a thing that happens in the Christian community, you know, um, where people are afraid to ask for help because they should get all their help just from the Bible. I don't know. I mean, we could go there. <laughs> That's a yeah. whole other. Um, do you see, that is a good question though. Um, in, in the Christian community, do you see that there's maybe more of a stigma than outside of it? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, yes. I, I want to say yes and no. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. I liked how uh, went in your trauma podcast. I think that was your second episode. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Dr. Gordon. Thank you. Yes. Uh, you kept referring to capital T trauma and lowercase T mm, trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, in Christian counseling, we talk about the T as well. And of course we work with trauma. However, mm -hmm. we use the T, capital T truth and lowercase T truth. And oh, so I yeah. think where it gets um, sticky in the Christian world is clients coming in um, and the stigma of can't they just figure out what is going on with them and can't they repair it or remedy it or do something different with capital T truth, which would be scripture and church and their uh, church. Uh -huh. And so then we talk about us as counselors, um, having education, having training, um, having a diagnostic manual, which is all evidence-based. Um, and it's the lowercase T truth and how we can supplement or integrate the lowercase T truth into the capital T truth, the word of God 
plus the psychology or counseling into it and see if that might be of greater benefit as they try to, as they try to seek some wholeness and some healing. I love that. I do see it in the Christian community. Um, I also love part of our culture now and my age range. And I think younger too, yours and Richard's is that there's a little bit of more gray or grace of like, yeah, church is great. And I love God and I want to serve him and my community is great. And I'm going to seek another layer of help. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. And I think I do see it shifting um, in some of the younger, younger age groups. And like, I mean, thinking about my daughter, like I put her in counseling at, I think she was 12 at the time um, because I know that that's such a great tool, but um, my parents, uh, it, it took m- me being in crisis like real crisis mode for them to take me to a counselor. So I think that even that's different, you know, so that's a really good, I love that the capital T truth and the, and the lowercase truth. That's so cool. I've never thought, I've never heard that before. That's awesome. You just taught me something new. Um, I'm sure you're going to teach me a lot more (laughs) right now, but um, that's so cool. Anyway. Yeah. So getting back to um, just counseling in general, I do have to ask this one question. Um, You know, I think a lot of people, think of counseling that you're just sitting there and then, and the counselor goes, now, how does that make you feel? (laughs) Have you ever asked that question? Um, I, uh, I don't know that I've exactly asked it that way. Um, I think because Richard and I went to the same grad school, but I think because in (laughs) grad school, we made so much fun in the counseling classes of that question. Yeah. I think um, we all felt motivated to find our own way to personalize and ask clients, how are they feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I mean, it's well, however it's asked, what we are trying to get at is, um, hey, it's okay. Whatever you're feeling is okay. Can you identify it? Can we acknowledge it? Um, what purpose is it serving? What is it telling us about you, your surroundings, your relationships, your life? And what can we do with it? So however we ask it, yes, we are asking about feelings and we are asking about feelings often. So how do you ask that? How do you help people identify their feelings if they can't themselves? Like, how does the magic happen? Because I know I've benefited from it, but I can't tell you how it works. (laughs) So how do you get there? Yeah, that's, it's great. And, um, Aaron, actually, I think this is really applicable to what you do since you are so whole bodied experienced and um, knowledgeable and learning more and more. Um, it is really tough. I have clients of all ages, twenties, thirties, forties, um, who maybe have never had a therapeutic experience before and they come in and they know that something does not feel right. Hmm. And yet they actually do not have the feeling word to identify it. Hmm. Um, So we actually, I do, and I believe my partners do as well. I imagine Richard would too, try to identify what they're actually feeling physically and connect that to what's going on in their emotionality. Um, You know, you and I can probably easily understand when we feel anxious, I actually feel it in my body first. Mm. And then I'm able to find the word and say, well, I'm feeling anxious. 
um, some of the other feelings are a little bit more difficult and we all feel them differently physically and we all feel them differently emotionally. However, part of our work is helping them connect what's going on in their body and what's going on in their mind and then teaching some psych education, teaching them on the, the label, the name of, oh, that mm-hmm. sounds like fear. That sounds like shame. That sounds like guilt. When else have you felt that? So then we start making parallels in their past, mm-hmm. their experiences, their relationship of, oh, that's funny. Maybe that's what I was feeling at this event. Or maybe that's what I've been feeling as I walk into my new job every day. Or maybe yeah. that's what I'm feeling in the new stages of this romantic relationship. So then we start making connections. And um, yeah, as you said, the magic kind of starts to happen and aha experiences, revelation, insight happens and people begin to get to know their feelings in relation to their body. Yeah. Oh, that it doesn't is happen overnight. Huge. Please don't mishear me. It's as you know, in your own therapeutic process, all of this is a journey. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. I'm so glad you brought up the um, anxiety you feel in your body because I do have quite a few clients that experience IBS and yes. it's, I mean, it's, I can't even tell you, I think all of them, they experience anxiety too. Like it's, it's a, it's connected IBS and anxiety. It's to me, I, when I think IBS, I'm like, okay, what have they not dealt with? You know what I mean? And I, I think about, okay, what trauma are they going through or what, um, what are they holding on to? There's such, I mean, you know, we know the gut and brain are connected. And so it's like, duh, but it, it amazes me every time when I hear, a client struggling with IBS. And then I ask about, you know, maybe their childhood or maybe, um, you know, what, what they're going through recently with stress levels and, you know, whatever. And it's like, Oh yeah, well, that's why you have IBS. Yes. <laughs> and so it's really hard. You can't just fix IB in my opinion, you can't just fix IBS with a pill or even an elimination diet, um, which, you know, I'm a big fan of good, clean nutrition and everything, but you've got to work on that anxiety aspect that yes, that yeah. whether it's spiritual or um trauma or or whatever is going on like you need to start unpacking that and so why do we have such a hard time doing that why do we have a hard time feeling our feelings what have you noticed in that um yes all good questions um yes i'll share quickly when i have indigestion or heartburn I know my body well enough now at 41 to know that I've likely probably put something too acidic, Mm -hmm. um, whether that's coffee or, you know, something, tomato sauce or something that's sparked the indigestion. However, now that I've had indigestion almost 20 years, I also know that it's definitely related to my anxiety. Yeah. Um, So, um, anyway, I just have learned to pay attention to that. Um, so what was your question? Uh, why is it so hard for us to feel our feelings? Yes. Um, I think it's hard for many reasons. I think the West has done a disservice to unpleasant emotion. Mm. Um, uh, America specifically has painted this, um, this, this picture that is actually very, uh, captivating, of you can live your dream here and have your best life here and everything will be um, glorious and fun and happy and successful Mm -hmm. and lovely. 
And as much as I want to honor that picture because I'm an American citizen and love living here, um, I also think that it disregards or does not take into account that all of our lives are filled with suffering and pain um, and hardship. And I believe just from what I know from research and from learning from other clinicians, the East has always done a better job at honoring trauma and sorrow and war and hardship and pain. And America built its ideals on success and glory and um, all of these Mm -hmm. happy, content, joy-filled things. Um, So I think America does us a little bit of a disservice. Um, I think we're leaning a little bit back through counseling and mental health issues and the prevalence of suicide and mass murders and things like that. I think we're leaning a little bit back toward, okay, suffering does exist. And so it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to feel it. So I think that's one reason. Um, I think another is that truly, I believe with all my heart that most people are afraid to acknowledge their feelings, to feel their feelings, to get comfortable with them. Um, It's very vulnerable. It's very intimate. And it's just a deep, dark place to go. And if you don't have a facilitating agent, like a counselor or a really safe relationship, then most people never really get that warm invitation to feel their feelings and, and get to know them and let them let themselves learn that their feelings are not going to hurt them. They'll Mm -hmm. actually only help them and teach them something about themselves, their relationships and their life. ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Do you struggle with knowing the right food for your lifestyle? Is there really a one right way to eat? As a chronic dieter, I was always so confused by the food rules and the fad diets. Where to even start? That's why I decided to go into health coaching. As your health coach, I will help you find the solution that is right for you. I will help you find balance. Unlike most dietitians and nutritionists, I focus on a whole person approach, not just food. I address stress, sleep patterns, underlying root issues, and so many other contributing factors to health. And as a mental illness survivor, I love talking about ways to fire up brain health. If you're interested in learning more and maybe even a complimentary consultation, contact me at www.sparkingwholeness.com or message me on Instagram through the handle Sparking Wholeness. And now let's get back to the show.
ever thought about that, that just culturally we don't allow for suffering or pain or hardship. Um, that's such an interesting thought. I've never thought about that before. And this fear of feelings. And I picked up on something you said. What did you, your phrasing was um, unpleasant emotions. Tell me about yes. unpleasant emotions. <laughs> I, I like your <laughs> phrasing there. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, I personally, as a, as a counselor, don't like to use the words good and bad mm. or positive and negative to describe our feeling state um, because the connotation of them being good or bad is not really necessary. They just are. They are all just a part of our system, our nervous system, our brain, the way God made us um, to feel, to be in relationship, to process this life. And they just all are. They're all here, um, whether it's joy, happiness, contentment, excitement, or whether it's pain, sorrow, guilt, shame, fear, uh, they are all here. So all that being said, Yes, some do feel better than others, uh, like joy, like mm -hmm. excitement, like if we're all getting on a plane and going to Disney World, that sounds super fun, and <laughs> we all feel really happy and overjoyed. Um, when someone passes away or tragedy or trauma happens, we feel sadness, sorrow, sometimes anger, fear, mm. um, and yet they're just all part of our human experience. So I don't like using positive, negative, good, bad. I like saying, yeah, that would be a really pleasant emotional experience or if someone's in pain. Hey, yes, I know this is really unpleasant for you. How can I help you? How can we maneuver this unpleasant situation together with all of your feelings and all that's going on? Um, so I think it's just a warmer and safer way um, to use language around feelings. Wow. I love that. Um, I don't think I've ever thought about that in regards to feelings. I do that with food. You know, I don't like calling food a good food or a bad food. Yes. Yeah, so like, why? Tell the me. Same, well, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, if I call something bad, it does something to my brain yes. and it's like, it, it's like tricking my brain into thinking, well now, and it, it's almost like a, I don't know, maybe it's a, from childhood, like, oh no, I, I can't, that's bad food. I can't eat uh -huh. that food. I shouldn't eat this. Now I'm doing something bad. And I think when we do that, just on a subconscious level, our body responds to that. So then I'm, whatever it is I'm eating, I'm going to have a harder time digesting it because my head is telling my body this is bad. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I just, I, I like to say toxic thoughts cause toxic digestion. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that is so true for the feeling thing, and, and the other thing that you said that um, it made me think of is that with my little kids, <laughs> you know, um, it's really hard. Like my three-year-old right now is so whiny. Oh my gosh, he is <laughs> so. I thought the whining didn't happen until they were older, but he got. I mean, he is very advanced. He is gifted and talented with the whining, and so I, it's really hard for me. Stop crying, you know, like just to shut it down. Mm -hmm. But I have to remember, like you said, if I don't teach my kids these things about, about emotions in general, being part of us and being, I can't remember the phrasing you used about being part of our, our nervous system. Is that what you said? Yes. Our nervous uh, system are my, I mean, they're yeah, they're yeah, me. that, um, I, like, I don't think I, all of it is just part of them and they need to be able to understand that it's okay 
it, another whining. I don't know. I don't think it's okay, but <laughs> he needs to know that it's okay to express himself because I think as parents, and maybe that's part of the society's issue. And especially with boys, which that could go into a whole other episode. I think we, we shut them down, you know, and we don't want them to cry. And I even caught with him, I started saying, you know, he would fall down, you know, I do the standard, it's okay, you're okay. Mm -hmm. And he lo would look at me and say, I'm not okay. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, he gets it. <laughs> no, he's not okay. And it's kind of, he, the three-year-old, my youngest out of three, has taught all of us that it's okay to not be okay, <laughs> you know, and it's okay not just say, um, oh, it's okay, it's okay. So I don't know. I. I'm learning so much just from my little whiny three-year-old on that. Um, but here for us do what little ones are teachers for us. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, I know a lot of people who listen to this show are parents. And so what do we, as parents, how do we start teaching our kids to feel our feelings and to not associate them as good and bad because that, that you're everything you said, I'm, I'm just kind of blown away with that. So how can we do better with that? Um, yes. Well, first I want to comment on your uh, language around food. I love that. And <laughs> I appreciate the elimination of the words, good and bad foods, um, especially in our, you know, disordered eating rampant culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't ever want anyone to think that cheese or pizza is a bad food. I don't mm -hmm. want to set it apart. Cause like you said so well, then it, it, it does. It um, activates something in the brain where it's like, that's bad. And if I eat that, I'm bad. And mm -hmm. then I'm going to turn into something bad. And then all of those, you know, that unpleasant emotional experience can happen. And then we attach that to the, the food because we mm -hmm. just heard one time it was bad. So same with our feelings. If somebody's like, oh, don't be sad. Sadness is bad. We're not supposed to be sad. Then we attach that to that feeling. And, mm. then, and then there's like, for lack of better words, there's not a permission slip to feel that feeling. It's like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel that. So then someone grows up thinking, well, I'm not supposed to feel sad. And yet mm -hmm. they do. And so what are they going to do with the feelings of sadness? Yeah. I don't huh. know. Probably end up in counseling. Yeah. Um, because they didn't get to feel their sadness. So anyway, I love the parallel with the food. Um, with kids, let's see. I um, I am not the professional with kids. However, I want to try to answer the question <laughs> for you. And of course, can we Well, even with us, it doesn't have to be specifically kids. Yes. But how do we get to a place where we can start this you know, is really concrete, and I, I don't know if you and Richard have done it, really concrete. Um, I learned early in my days of counseling. Um, however, what we often use are the emoji, smiley face cards or boards or printouts from Pinterest uh -huh. or the internet. Um, and often that it, I encourage mom clients that I see to have one of those on the refrigerator or have one of those on a cork board somewhere in the house mm -hmm. so that when one of their children is feeling something and yet does not have the language or the word, um, the mom can invite the child to the cork board to look at the emoji, emotional expressions and say, okay, son, are you able to point to which one of these faces mm -hmm. you might be feeling or relating to? And if it's the really angry face, you know, that might be the red faced emoji that we all mm -hmm. have on our phone and the child points to that. And so then the mom can start helping the child acknowledge, Oh, you feel angry right now. 
Okay, anger. What do you want to talk about? How can I help you with their with your anger? What's making you angry? And so then mm -hmm. it can can become a conversation, and the child can learn that it's safe to feel it. A, it's okay to feel it. Mom acknowledged it, and then it can turn into a hopefully productive conversation about the child's current emotional state, and then eventually the the ability to self soothe and understand himself better, um, so that his anger becomes tolerable and manageable and doesn't get into a place where um, it drives the parents crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's really good. Um, can we talk about anger for a minute? Um, sure. I know because I know for adults, this is a, a big one. We often express our emotions through anger, but you know, I've heard that anger is a secondary emotion. Do you agree with that? Um, do, how do you look at anger? How do I look at people? anger? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I, I, yes, again, it's kind of a yes, no. You'll find that with mm -hmm. me. I'm, I, as counselors, <laughs> we don't always give direct answers. See, we don't tell people what to do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. We, we don't give direct answers. Um, I see anger most of the time, yes, as a secondary emotion. And what I think of, uh, when we say that is it's coming out as anger, um, so they're showing up, their face is hot, their adrenaline's running, um, they have a lot to say, they're venting, they're blowing off steam. A lot of times in America, because I don't know other cultures as well in terms of counseling, people feel comfortable expressing their anger, um, whether it's traffic, whether it's politics. Um, anger has actually a little bit more acceptance to be displayed and shown mm in our culture than something like maybe shame or sadness or guilt. Hmm. Um, and so uh, it's, it is, it's just, there's just more permission to show it and to feel it. It seems um, more powerful too, right? Would yes. You, yeah. That... It's assertive. It's aggressive. Yeah. Um, and it's usually when somebody feels or is experiencing like a real or perceived wrong or injustice. Mm. Mm -hmm. And which that happens every day, all the time. And, um, we feel valid to express that somebody cut me off on the road. I'm so angry. Um, often though, when it comes to relationships or something a bit more intimate, um, it's, it's likely something else going on. Uh, mm -hmm. and so that's why we say it's a secondary emotion, but they've given themselves permission to show the anger. Like my boyfriend's so rude. I'm so mad at him. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything to celebrate my birthday. Well, I've been in counseling long enough myself. I've also seen enough clients that the client is talking about how they're angry at their boyfriend for not celebrating her birthday to her expectations. What she's really feeling is pain, sadness, hurt. Right. Um, that she wasn't yeah. celebrated and she didn't feel loved or special in the way she would have liked. So that's kind of a picture of it being secondary. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And and it's, again, we need to be able to identify and kind of peel away those layers mm -hmm. um, to really <laughs> become, I don't know. I mean, I just think pent up anger and pent up all these um, unpleasant emotions, I think can really take a toll on our our health and well-being, and you know, I mean, you you've seen the studies on on what even not having gratitude and and mm -hmm. having you know, um, uh, how would I say it, unpleasant mindset, how that changes the brain, you know, and affects the way yeah, our brain or unfavorable, yeah, yeah, um, and so I think 
learning these things are so beneficial. Um, I think if we have a, t- a chance, cause I'm, we are just, time is flying right now. I'm loving our We're conversation, so much fun, um, but These I would love, yeah. I, oh, they totally, it's so fun. Um, I would love to ask you really quickly if, if it's possible to talk about it quickly. Um, again, it could probably be an episode in itself, but, um, can we talk about uh, shame and the topic of shame and, um, what's the difference between shame and guilt? Yeah. Let's let's go there. Um, sure. Yes. Um, most people, uh, when they first start a counseling experience have a really hard time differentiating between those. Uh, I actually love Brene Brown's presentation Mm -hmm. of the difference in both of those, um, how she uses words to describe each. She has, uh, I'll give her a little plug. Um, (laughs) if you haven't heard of her, she's great. And she's great. Lots of TED Talks, lots of great books. Uh, She's very well-known, very well-respected in mental health and in the vulnerability and psychological world. Uh, So I go with her definition. Shame, um, I say, is someone who internally feels bad or wrong. It's like a state of being bad or wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And guilt is external. So it's having done something that um, has caused harm or is essentially wrong on the outside if you graffiti someone's property, um, there is a necessary guilt to that because you caused harm or did something wrong to someone else's property. And again, that's external. And it's also a a more fleeting or passing feeling of Mm -hmm. like, oh, I did that. I I maybe should not have done that. I feel some guilt. Whereas shame is more a constant uh, state of being on the inside. And it's Mm -hmm. very, very unpleasant, very toxic. And I like to say, um, and have read the research on it, unresolved shame is one of the most toxic emotions. Mm, wow. Yeah. yeah. It, it kills you from the inside out. Yeah, it really does. Wow. Um, and again, just from a holistic perspective, it, it makes me, I would love to know, I've never looked at it, what, what that does, yeah, for people's health and, and a yes. lot of these chronic health conditions that we're facing. Yes. And what's going on in the gut and mm-hmm. what is it, what is it causing to deteriorate physically? Yes. I'm so with you, Aaron, and I don't have the research, but I, yeah. I there is some out there. Yeah. It, it would be so interesting. Cause you know, the more I do study all the things, <laughs> the nutrition and the, I, I really am convinced that one of our biggest killers, even more so than, you know, the GMOs and all of that, it's our stress and, and the stuff that we're not dealing with. And shame probably contributes to the overall stress load, right? If we're carrying that around. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think anyone carrying that around unacknowledged, untended to, um, it's, yeah, it's just toxic overall, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah, it's it's just carrying around a big, big ton of bricks um, and it'll it'll weigh you down. It'll get you. Yeah, yeah. I know for me, that was another thing that I unraveled in my counseling experience, I didn't realize I was holding on to shame. And so that's another plug for counseling is that I didn't realize, and you know, my husband had kind of caught me on it a few times in our marriage that my mindset can sometimes suck. Um, And I just, the way I talk to myself is not great. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another self check for people is if we are talking bad about ourselves out loud, pretty regularly, whether it's to a spouse or a good friend, or, you know, you're not going to do it to a stranger. Usually, um, if you do, then you really probably have some stuff going on inside. But if I'm, if I am going to be saying mean things about myself in front of, 
these people I care about, how much more am I saying it inside to myself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that was something that I didn't realize was affecting me. And it came from the shame. And so again, it's like unraveling these onions, um, these layers of the onion um, to, to get down to this stuff. And I, how, how does somebody know if they're struggling with shame? Oh, well, I think you just identified one way. Great is, you know, I'm, I'm talking negatively about myself. Um, much of the way I see myself or see the world, um, it seems through a terrible lens. I mean, all of it, you know, I'm terrible. The world's terrible, whatever the self-talk is, if someone's aware of that and how, uh, they're not fully functioning or not living in wholeness or avoiding parts of life or parts of relationships, Um, I mean, all of that takes some self-awareness and being willing to look within. Um, but yeah, I mean, just being mindful of like this, this maybe isn't how I'm supposed to be living. There might be more, there might be more contentment. There might be more joy to find, not to say that we can completely extinguish the shame. Uh, however, there is healing and hope and that much of that can happen in the counseling context. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's so good. Um, so with counseling, how does somebody find a good counselor? Like what, what are some ways if somebody's, you know, like say somebody's listening to this and like, man, I need to check this out. Um, what are ways to find a good counselor? If they're in the Dallas area, how can they find you? Um, yeah. What do you think? Great great questions. Uh, we are Magnolia counseling group and we are located near 75 central expressway 75 and mockingbird. Um, we're near the SMU campus. Uh, we love uh, getting calls for uh, referrals um, and we can't house or take everyone, but we would definitely try always to get a potential client to the best suited uh, counseling office, um, but depending on their need, depending on mm-hmm. geography, depending on their income. Um, so uh, it, in addition to us, we are here as a resource as well as counselors taking new clients. Um, I would say start with people that you know, whoever you feel safe asking. Asking, whether that's a pastor, whether that's a best friend or a mm-hmm. family member. Um, if your children are enrolled in school and there's a counselor at the school, maybe saying, hey, you know who, asking the mm-hmm. counselor at the school, is there someone you refer to outside of here who's in private practice? Um, so I, I always trust going with who you know first um, and then, you know, trying to um, just, just filter it down from there um, and just keep asking questions. Um I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. But no, that's great. Say, yeah. 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 And I've, I've even noticed that there are, um, you know, a, a lot of um, counseling practices that, that accept insurance. And so sometimes you can even look on your insurance provider mm-hmm. um, and get a list of practicing counselors and just kind of start doing some investigating and, yeah, your you own know, well, yeah, yeah. Because it is, I mean, not every counselor is going to be the right fit. Um, I've heard that from many people that sometimes it's, and it's okay to, to go to somebody else, you know? Um, so yeah, so it's important to find somebody who's right. What do you, what do you have? Yeah, sorry. You're going to say no, something. No, no. I, uh, thinking about the insurance thing, we are out of network, so we do not take insurance. Mm-hmm. However, people get our name and call us and ask, Hey, we trust you guys at Magnolia. 
we want to go to someone on insurance. So then can we ask you all who you refer to who does take insurance? And then we have a handful of trusted names who either we have worked with or we've shared a client or a family with, or maybe one of us went to grad school with, um, that then we will refer to who we know do offer insurance for their clients. So that's another resource that we can offer as well. Um, and then what was your other question? Um, how to, oh, I was asking, talking about having, um, finding the right fit for a counselor and that is, um, you know, that's just part of the part of life and part of our profession, which we are all totally okay with. Um, it's, you know, it's like finding the right grocery store and, Mm -hmm. you know, is it, is it located well? Do they have what you need? Do they have the prices you're looking for? Is it consistent? Um, is it easy to get in and out of? Do you feel safe there, whether that's physically or emotionally? And so it happens all the time. We offer people intake appointments or first counseling sessions to come in and it is a, it is a full fee session. However, it is with the understanding that, Hey, you are here today, new client, and you do not have to come back. If you feel like Mm -hmm. it's not a good fit, we are more than happy to try to get you the care that you're looking for, whether it's in our practice, outside of our practice, or even in another state, we help people find counselors outside of Texas and outside of DFW as well. Um, so oh, as great. counselors, as professionals, we've just come to understand that that's part of it. And, and so we don't want anybody to stay just because they feel like this is their only option. There are so mm-hmm. many mental health resources out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And so for, if anybody who wants to find more information about your practice and um, your group you work with, that is the website is magnoliacounselinggroup.com. Is that correct? That's right. You got it. Awesome. Um, All right. Well, last question. If you could give someone one piece of advice to spark Mm -hmm. them towards wholeness, what would it be? That's it. It's, yes, it's such a great question. Um, let's see. It's a hard one. <laughs> it really is. I think it would be um, daily. Take a minute and ask yourself how you're really doing, and be honest with yourself, and be willing to uh, be willing to hear your truth. If you're okay that day, or if you're not okay that day, um, be willing to accept whatever your body, heart, and mind tell you. Um, and then, depending on your read on yourself take the next best step for yourself. Maybe that's counseling. Maybe that's a glass of water. Maybe that's a better night Mm -hmm. of sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, But really giving yourself a moment or two every day to say like, Hey, Tiffany, how are you really today? And what's the next best thing for you to do today for you? Yeah. Wow. That's so good. I love that. Um, and maybe even getting out the, the emojis on your phone to distinguish, right? Maybe I need to start doing that. <laughs> I am a feeling stuffer. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. no, such good tips, such good advice. Oh my goodness. That was, I'm so glad that, um, I had you on and I like, I'm already thinking, okay, now we need to talk about this on another episode and this, like you just really, um, got my brain going in a thousand different directions, which is what I love. So, um, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for asking me. It was great. So much fun. And we are all here for you, for you and for Richard anytime. All right. Yes. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, 
check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.